and that is in 2 Kings chapter number 3. Certainly all texts are not certainly something for me to make light of because that God that you have in your hand came via a text. 2 Kings chapter number 3, we're continuing in this series following Elijah who has now been taken up into a whirlwind and the mantle has fallen to his young I wouldn't say young, but at one time he was young, but not at this season, protege, and that is Elisha. We're going to only read about eight verses of Scripture in the third chapter of 2 Kings. Chapter 2 is certainly when he's caught the mantle. There's a little incident in his life early on in his ministry, and I'm going to catch you up with some, a couple of incidents that took place previously uh, before this particular one, but this sets the context for us today. It, it allows us to see how that God in His sovereignty can direct our steps. I want to ask you, if you would, to stand and honor the reading of Scripture at 2 Kings chapter 3. We're going to read verses 11 through 18, so not a lengthy passage of Scripture here today. Here it says in the 11th verse, but Jehoshaphat... Now, you need to say that with a little bit of charisma. You don't just need to read that. You need to say that like you mean it and apply it. Jehoshaphat. I've not seen any of you name your children. Jehoshaphat. It says, but Jehoshaphat said, is there not here a prophet of the Lord? Jehoshaphat is the king of Judah. Remember, the kingdom is divided that we may inquire of the Lord by him. That was his simple request. And one of the king of Israel, which is Jehoram, we'll talk about him in a moment, one of his servants answered and said, Well, here, somewhere near where they were at, is Elisha, the son of Shapheth, which poured water on the hands of Elijah. Everybody remembers that in our series. And Jehoshaphat said, The word of the Lord is with him. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to him. And Elisha said to the king of Israel, Elisha does not have a good feeling still about the king of Israel. This is the son of Ahab. He said, uh, Elisha said to him, What have I to do with thee? Get thee to the prophets of thy father and to the prophets of thy mother. And the king of Israel said unto him, Nay, for the Lord hath called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. And Elisha said, As the Lord of hosts liveth, before whom I stand, surely were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, I would not look toward thee, nor see thee. But now bring me a minstrel. And it came to pass, when the minstrel played, that the hand of the Lord came upon him. He said, Thus saith the Lord, Make this valley full of ditches. For thus saith the Lord, you shall not see wind, neither shall you see rain, yet that, that valley shall be filled with water, that you may drink, both you, your cattle, and your beast. And this is but a light thing in the sight of the Lord. He will deliver the Moabites also into your hand. It's a powerful passage of Scripture. Here's what I want to talk to you about today. Inquiring of the Lord. That's what was stated by Jehoshaphat. Is there not here a prophet of the Lord that we may inquire of the Lord by him? determining God's direction. And I could add, in your life, determining God's direction. Did I hear the voice of Dr. Brassfield back there? Did I? There he is. Dr. Brassfield just happens to be here this morning, and that handout that you have today came. I'll be sharing with you and elaborating on it here in just a moment. So let's pray, and let's ask the Lord for uh, direction as we, as we begin to inquire of him today. 
Come on, I want you to inquire for God's direction in your life. Father, I love you today, and I feel privileged to be in this house and have such a congregation of men and women, Father, whose hearts are set after yours. We're going to trust that you've ordained this moment, and that God, in my private, personal devotion, I could not get away from this thought, and I could not... Father, um, I could not escape it. It was in front of me. I felt like it was something that the people needed who are going to be gathered in this house today. And I pray the Spirit of the Lord to help us today. From the preacher to the receiver, God, those that are going to receive this message, let the Spirit of the Lord prepare all of our hearts. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen and Amen. You can be seated. Anytime I want to um, preach something from you or to you, I want to give you a basis, a biblical basis of which we're going to extract. Because in a moment of time, we're going to begin to, to lay out some principles that will help us begin to discover God's direction for our lives. When I use that term, God's direction, what that's, that's coming from the, the, the standpoint towards the maturation of your faith. Because as you mature in faith, you simply want to be in the will of God. You recognize that there's a permissible will of God in one sense, but there's a perfect will of God in a greater sense. That God will order your steps. There's too many passages in the Word of God where God shows that He will lead His people, and He will direct your paths, and He will, uh, he will give you the wisdom that you need to make good decisions in life. And many of us have spent a half of a lifetime trying to recover from poor decisions. Made in haste, made in the flesh, without the proper parameters of finding God's direction. And my, my, compel, my compulsion today is to give you the tools that will help you to know how to inquire of the Lord. Elisha has received a prophetic mandate. We've talked about this for multiple weeks now. And I brought you into that famous passage in chapter 2 when he's walking after seven plus years of serving Elijah, the man of God, that on the day that Elijah is taken up in a whirlwind to heaven, that the mantle that represented the prophetic call, the anointing of God, fell to the ground. And Elisha, there were 50 other prophets who watched this scene un unfold very closely. They weren't that far off. They, no, none of them ran over to attempt to pick up the mantle. This was Elisha's mantle to pick up. He had been anointed. The Word of God said that Elijah had been sent to anoint Elisha to be prophet in his stead. And he picks the mantle up. The prophetic anointing is manifested when he smote the waters of the Jordan River and they rolled back and he walked across on dry ground. How I many you know that's a powerful image in our mind of the creative power of God? And so, but then the Bible just, I want to just catch you up to this particular moment. Two incidents that took place, incidents that took place. The first of which, he's still left at Jericho. He tarries at Jericho for a period of time. And then the people come to him and tell him, say, you know, the city is good. The city is pleasant, but the waters are bitter. And so Elisha follows that prophetic anointing of the things that he's learned from Elijah. And he says, bring me a cruise. Remember a cruise of oil that sustained the prophet when he was in uh, the land of Sidon, of Zarephath, or Zarephath of Sidon. The, he took a cruise, but this time he had them fill it with salt. And he said, pour it in the spring. And when he poured it in the spring, the waters were miraculously healed. And from that point on, the land that had been barren to a certain degree was pleasant because they had refreshing water. And there's, a, there's so much that you can make with this because how many of you know God can heal our spring of waters? He can make our former land that was barren and non-fruitful, he can make our lives fruitful, can he? He can, as he pours his spirit into our lives. 
And so then we have another incident that I just want to make mention of. It's kind of odd in Scripture. So the, the Bible tells us that as, uh, after that took place, Elisha is kind of leaving the city. And when he did, he was met, King James English says, by some little children. Let me tell you what these were. These were teenage thugs is what they were. They weren't little children. They were teenage thugs. And uh, they began to, uh, to, to, to uh, ridicule the prophet because he was bald-headed. And, uh, boy, I touched a nice head of hair right there. Praise the Lord. And uh, so they began to ridicule him. And uh, as he did, the Bible says that he spoke uh, some type of curse upon them. And he went away. And when he did, two she-bears came out of the woods, came out of the forest and tear. I don't think it meant it killed them, but it tore 42 of these young teenage thugs. And they learned a lesson not to talk about their bald-headed youth pastor. Come on, somebody. JoJo's not here, but he gets that one. That's free right there. And so then we see this particular, uh, what takes place this moment here in the third chapter. And what this is, it shifts to Jehoram. Jehoram is the son of Ahab. And the Bible plainly notes that though he did not walk exactly in the path of Ahab following his practices of Baal worship exactly, he did not uh, stop following the practices of Jeroboam, which was worshiping of the golden calves. And so he's not as evil as Ahab, but he's certainly not righteous. And during this time period, it's noted that, that um, it is Moab, who had previously been under servitude to Israel, has broken away. When Ahab died, they broke away. And as a result, a great part of their economy was affected. And so Jehoram said, we're going to go and we're going to bring the Moabites back under servanthood to us. And he sought a coalition of kings. And he sought the king of Edom, but he also first went to Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah. And so they go out to battle. They're going to battle against the Moabites. And, but they go seven days' journey into the, uh, into the field. And they've not yet engaged the enemy, but they find themselves in a place where there's no water. There's no, there's no water. And it doesn't take long in that arid, dry, Middle Eastern environment that uh, you can perish quickly in that desert-like condition if you don't have water. And so they found themselves in a really difficult situation to the degree that Jehoram is in great despair. And finally, Jehoshaphat says, is there not a prophet of the Lord that we can inquire of God, that we can have him inquire of God on our behalf? And that was where we began our study and began our reading of this particular passage. Because in those days, a prophet was also known as a seer. That's taken directly from 1 Samuel chapter number 9. It plainly says in those days that a prophet was known as a seer. And people would often come to a prophet to inquire of the Lord. If he might have a word of direction for their lives. And so when it was noted that Elisha, the son of Shapheth, was, was there or near then Jehoshaphat had heard about him. He knew that he had walked with Elijah, and he said, the word of the Lord is with him. I'll tell you what, we need preachers today. Come on, and we don't just need preachers. We need men and women of God that have the word of the Lord with them, an anointing of God to be able to speak uh, to God's people. And so they go to Elisha, and we read this in the text, and I want to expound it for just a moment so you can see the gravity of this moment. And Elisha is not necessarily kind and gracious, but he does not send out the welcome wagon to meet Jehoram because Jehoram is the offspring of Ahab, and we all know what Ahab and Jezebel did to the land of Israel. They have 
decimated the people, killed the prophets of God, and Elisha is not very kind and graceful towards him. And he said, as a matter of fact, if it were not for the presence of Jehoshaphat, who is a righteous king in the lineage of Judah, he said, I wouldn't even acknowledge your presence. But because of Jehoshaphat, then he said, I'm going to acknowledge your presence. And they needed a word from God. And they invited, so Elisha did something. It's a unique passage of Scripture. Elisha invited a minstrel, someone that began to play. And that's why when we talk about creating an atmosphere for worship, we see what can happen when we create a moment where the Spirit of God can move. And we've got to have an anointing, the Spirit of God. See, we've got to learn of the Spirit of God. And we create an atmosphere for the presence and the power of God to move in our midst. And so as the, the Bible doesn't tell us how long the minstrel played. It might have been three minutes or it might have been two hours that they sat there uh, waiting as the minstrel played. But at a certain moment, a certain time, the Spirit of God came upon the prophet. And he began to prophesy and he began to declare the direction that they were seeking. And they gave them very specific direction. The Spirit of God told him to tell them that they were to go out and engage Moab in battle. And not only would they have divine intervention, God gave them instruction of what they were to do in the context of the battle. Those were the verses 19 and 20 that I omitted and did not read. You can read it on your own. And that scenario, as I read this, it reminded me of the of the very simple fact that you and I often find ourselves in situations or seasons where we need direction from God. We need clarity of direction. And some of you I know with a certainty, because you've shared that with me privately, that you've got some major decisions that are in front of you, and you're wanting to hear from God. And I believe that if we will set our hearts, that we can hear from God. Now, this particular incident is very peculiar in the fact that there was a prophetic word. I believe in prophetic words. We're going we're gonna to address that under point number two here in just a moment of time. But we're going to begin to unfold some things that Dr. Brassfield passed. I had no idea that he would be in service with us today, but that he passed to me. And in essence, I'm passing these to you. And these are some of the things that he shared that, uh, that he shares with leaders. Because many times leaders, especially, and you're a leader to a degree, at some degree in your family and in your community, that you want to know the will of God for your life and your direction. And you're making very um, climatic Decisions. The thing that I have observed as a pastor for these many years is that many times the, that our life can be, you can reflect back on your life to about three or four major critical decisions that you make. And the rest of your life, you're either living in the strength of those decisions because they have helped thrust you forward in the will of God and you're doing the will of God or you're playing catch up trying to recover from the poor decision that you made without the counsel of God. And I want to see if I can in any wise help you today, I want you to make decisions with your head pillowed on the bosom of chest of Jesus. I want you to be able to hear his heartbeat for your life. So these are some things. Some of these are just questions that you have to answer. You have to make this peculiar and particular to your situation. Everybody's situation is uniquely uh, uh, different. But there are some principles that are common to us all. The first that was noted on the page, and I'll pull that out. I have the exact same handout here today in front of you. Is that is there a command of Scripture? And you start right there. 
It's because if there is a compulsion of Scripture, do you have something in the Word of God that is compelling you? Is there a revelation of truth in the Word of God that you have seen that you are to act and react to? You're to move based upon this. I believe God still speaks to us by His Word. The greatest clarity that I have ever had and the direction my life has been shaped also like yours by several decisions that I have made. And I have some prophetic things. I'll very lightly touch on one in particular in a moment's time that has shaped my direction. But secondly, many times God's used the Word of God to speak direction to my life. I have found direction for my life if I studied the Word of God. But I added this also as I meditate upon that. It's, it's also a command of Scripture that we follow. But sometimes is it a command of Scripture of something that's strictly forbidden in the Word of God? Because some people start trying to make decisions for their life and the Word of God directly forbids us to do certain things. And yet we often determine to do it anyhow based upon our human emotions. Well, now I'm really preaching way better than y'all are shouting. I'll give you an example of this. I've observed this many times. People oftentimes are in a, what they call an unhealthy marriage. And yet there's no adultery. There's no physical abuse. There's no even really a verbal abuse. And yet at the same time, this person has just grown tired of their spouse. And so in growing tired of their spouse, they start looking for someone else. In that moment of time, you don't have a clear, you have a clear direction of Scripture saying that you need to stay with your spouse. Let's work this thing out. If your marriage is, is, is lacking fire, then crank the fire up. Come on, somebody. There's a way. you got to pray. You pray for love. So I just don't love him or her. Well, you ask God to give you love. He is love. You say, I pray that on a regular basis. God, create love in my heart for my wife in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray for that, but God put that creative desire and burden inside me. Is it in harmony with the Word of God? God will not, listen to this, God will not be leading you to do something that is not in harmony with the clear teaching of Scripture. And that's good right there, isn't it? Number two, is there a compelling of the Holy Spirit? I want you to think about that. Now, we have something that even Elisha didn't have. We have the indwelling Holy Spirit. Now, we, as all born-again believers, we have received of the Spirit of God. And yes, I believe in the Spirit of God coming upon in prophetic words, and I'm going to talk about that. But we can also have a compulsion of the Spirit or a compelling of the Holy Spirit within us that if you are sensitive to the Lord and you've learned to, to develop an ear, I wrote down a question, can you discern your own thoughts from the Spirit's leading? And you have to have a level of maturity to, in order to discern your, because the, your thoughts sometimes can be the wrong thoughts. And you can't follow the thoughts. The Bible speaks about the desires of a man's heart can lead him astray. But you want to have the leading of the Holy Spirit. But I also believe in prophetic words. I believe in creating an environment for the Spirit of God to move. That's why we are a Spirit-filled fellowship. That's why we long for the Spirit, because I believe in two things today. Of the nine gifts of the Spirit, there's the Word of Wisdom and the Word of Knowledge. The Word of Knowledge is information known by the Spirit of God that's present. The Word of Wisdom is information potentially about the future. And if you'll heed the Word of Wisdom, then it can direct your path. I remember years ago, when I, and I've told this story before, but we have so many new people in our church. I want to remind you of how the, I believe in the prophetic 
And you've got to learn to listen and welcome and receive the prophetic word in your life. And I was in the Air Force, and I had left MacArthur Assembly of God. And Sherry and I had moved to Wilburn, and because I had such a desire to be up in the hill country here. And things just hadn't worked out the way I thought. How many of you know, when you think sometimes it's going to work out, it doesn't always work out. You've got to find the leading of the Holy Spirit. I had left MacArthur, but I didn't have that clear direction. I didn't have that prophetic word. And so I was just struggling to try to find the will of God. I, was, I told you last week I had burned the plow. I had burned the plow. I'm a year away from having to, to leave the, the military, and I've got a, a decision to make. I've got a wife and five children. I've got a call of God in my life. I'm searching for how to release this, how to, how to get in the will of God. I was driving daily from the air base, Little Rock Air Force Base, and I got home one day about 5 o'clock, and Sherry's sister was attending the Prevailing Word Christian Center here in Heber at that particular time, and there was a prophetess that was from Texas that they had brought in, and her sister called Sherry to tell me that if I, I might ought to think about because she knew that we were searching for the will of God for our lives. And so I, I, I got in at 5 o'clock. Service was going to be, I think, at 7. Brother Robert might have been there. You might have been responsible for getting Helen there that night. I don't know. And so I went to the service. I took my uniform off. I'm in casual clothes just like everybody. She ministered the word of the Lord, and she spoke very eloquently and powerfully. And I, you could tell. You could discern the Spirit of God. This is the real deal. This is the word of the Lord. And when she finished, she sat down at a piano. She became her own minstrel. And she began to play on the minstrel or on the keys, and she began to minister. And she ministered to a few people. And then she paused and she said this right here. She said, Is there anybody here who was in the armed services? Now I noted what she said. She said, Who was in? Now I know that there were other veterans there. I was not a veteran, I was an active duty military member who was wearing the uniform just two hours earlier. I waited, and not a single man stood up. And so I, or female, so I raised my hand and I said, ma'am, I'm in the armed forces right now. And she said, well, brother, this word's for you. And she had me stand and she began to speak over my life. And she said this, she said these words. She said, God's got orders for you. That's a language that I could understand. That's the wording of the military when you get ready. He's got promotion orders for you, but God says they're sealed while he waits for you to agree with him. And if you will agree with him, God's going to promote you in ministry. Come on, somebody. And so I had been all over the place about what the will of God was. And at that moment, I went home, and Sherry and I began to reason it, and we began to narrow it down. We would begin to pursue pastoral ministry. That was late October of 2002. By January the 13th, 2003, I was the pastor at Maranatha Assembly in Shirley. So God ordered my steps through a prophetic word. That's why we want to agitate the Spirit of God in our midst. Isn't that right? That God can speak to us and speak through us. And you might be a recipient of a prophetic word, but you also might be somebody that God uses. Now, I can't say that all the time that I share prophetic words with people when I minister to them, but I can tell you something that I've learned. I may not have a platform with a minstrel all the time, but in my office, I have learned over the years that a prophetic word doesn't just flow when you have a microphone and a minstrel. 
And so I have counseled people many times, and in the midst of that counseling session, they were there to, dis- to discern the will of God. The prophetic word came forth, and it crossed the pastor's death rather than the pulpit of the prophet, but it still carried the prophetic element, and it cast the word of wisdom for the direction that they needed. And so that's why I thank God we need a compulsion of the Holy Spirit, a compelling. Is the Spirit of God compelling you individually? And if He is, He will often affirm this, right, by little directional things that He gives you. And I was grateful He gave me that directional instruction, and and I agreed with Him. And God promoted me in ministry, and I'm thankful for that today. Number three, does it make common sense? Is it simply common sense? I wrote this down uh, in, that, in this context today. Just basic connection to simple wisdom. We often think, I want you to hear this. Some of these I'll go a little bit faster over. But we often think that if it's way out there, if it's over, overtly dynamic, then it's perceived to be spiritual and then it's of God. But I've learned, and by reading this and reflecting upon it, God often just gives simple, common sense. Just simple things that just make sense. That says, you know what, you need to do this. The prophet Elisha later, when Naaman came to him, Naaman was sick with leprosy, and the prophet said, just go and wash. And the prophet, or excuse me, Naaman struggled to receive the prophetic word because he wanted him to come and wave the wand over him. He wanted him to do something mystical. And his servant said, you know what, if you're unclean, Why don't you just think about taking the bath where he said, take a bath? And he said, you know what? That makes sense. And he went down and he dipped in the Jordan seven times and he come up shouting, glory to God. So sometimes God just gives you common sense. You got to learn to examine that and weigh that in the balance. Number four today, do you have counsel of oversight and wisdom? That's very important because I believe even prophetic words are subjected to be judged. Let me say that again. I believe in the prophetic. If it's truly the prophetic, it ought to be able to sustain the observation of godly counsel. If you are ashamed to expose it to godly counsel, then I can tell you right now, most probably it's not the will of God for your life. Because if you'll bring it to godly counsel, don't. why are you afraid of godly counsel? Why are we afraid? Because we're afraid to have some of the issues that that we're being led by in the flesh exposed. Because prophetic uh, counsel is going to marry, prophetic counsel and leading is going to marry, it's going to marry the, the judgment of the counselors that God gives. They're not going to be, if it's truly of God, it's not going to be divisive. It's going to be unified and in harmony one with the other. And this is what I wrote because I'm a pastor speaking this. This is where most people miss the mark right here. You want to see where they stumble over? They stumble over this right here. Because they're afraid to expose some of the decisions that they're wanting to make about marriage or financial decisions or jobs to counsel. Issues of life, counsel is often sought and the word of wisdom can be given. I want to encourage you in that. But people often fail. I cannot, I want to tell you, now listen, I gave you just a little glimpse into a moment where it was prophetic. A lady was playing on the piano and she's prophesying. And that's not my, that's, you know, I I hope that can happen and I believe that it can. But as a pastor, I have a pastor's desk. I have an office. People come and sit down. And when they really are seeking counsel, we pray together and we ask the Lord. I can tell you a number of times when I've had somebody in my office and they have sought, they're seeking counsel. And I don't 
know what it is, what the answer is going into it, and I'm just listening. But I believe in the word of wisdom. I believe in a supernatural word that God can give that can direct your footsteps, that can direct your future. And I have way, and I remember multiple times, I'm not going to call anybody out individually, but in this particular moment, because they probably aren't here now, but at those particular moments, we waited, and while we were having what seemed like just pastoral counsel, the supernatural wisdom of God bubbled up. Like out of the brook, it bubbled up, and a declaration of direction was determined, and it was peaceful. See, the wisdom of God is peaceful, and it's easy to be received. Because sometimes it does make common sense. It connects to God. And so there have been times that we have said, man, this is direction. They didn't have direction when they came in the office. But now they've got a light in front of them that's directing their steps. I felt encouraged. I was excited. Because anytime you receive a, a direction from God, you ought to be excited. Only to watch that person walk out and do exactly opposite. Of everything that the Spirit of God had illuminated their path for. So I want to counsel you today in the name of Jesus. The Bible says, listen, in Proverbs 15, without counsel, purposes are disappointed. But in the multitude of counsel, they are established. Number five, do the circumstances demand it? Is this a situation where you got to act? Is this a situation where you need to act? Is this something that you say, I don't, I've got to make a decision? Sometimes you find yourself in a place. The lepers of old, the Bible says, they said, why sit here? We until we die. We got to do something. We got to make. So there are some seasons in your life when you can't fail to act. And if that's the case, you got to look at that, that the Lord's brought you to this place where you've got to make a decision. I was brought to that decision. Agree with me and I'll promote you. And when I did, God honored his word. Then Dr. Brassville switched to direction. These were questions. These are very personal. I don't know if I can get through all of them here today. I probably won't, but I'll get through at least two to three, and then we're going to pause, and we're going to have prayer in this house. We're going to anoint people with oil, and we're going to pray over you that are looking for direction in your life, and we're going to trust that God's going to lead you in his perfect way. Come on, somebody, because I'm telling you, if you follow God, he'll keep you in the palm of his hand. And even though I can't promise you that you won't go through difficult hardships and challenges, but one thing I can tell you, God will work all things out for your good and for his glory if you'll be but trusting him. And so in this particular shift, it's when speaking to people about direction, Dr. Brassel said, I often ask questions like this. Now listen, this is going to help some of you today. And I know I won't be able to cover all eight of these today, but I'll at least get through three of these today. When speaking to people about direction, a question is asked, what are you gifted to do? That's a powerful point. I want you to pause and begin to think about this. What are you gifted to do? Your gifts are given by God and DNA. They are a clue to his plan for your life. What are you good at? That's a great question, isn't it? That's something that where it starts in your own life. I wrote it this way, our own natural instinctive gifts are often a clue to what or where God is leading or what he is calling us to be or who he is calling us to be, excuse me. And so you must know yourself. you got to know yourself and know your gifting and your calling. You must know yourself or at least listen to others who observe your gifting. Typically, listen to this, God does not lead you to do something you are not gifted to do. 
There's a reason why some of you are not leading worship on this platform. Because you can't sing very good. Hello? There are many areas, and this is not just about ministry. I believe all that you do. I believe your career is your ministry. I don't believe that ministry is tied just to the church. I believe if you're a coach, if you're a teacher, if you're a worker on the job, that's your opportunity to be able. If you are not here Wednesday night, if it's on the podcast, go and listen to Jason's teaching on Adam serving God by tending the garden. you got a garden to tend. That's how you bring God glory. You take care of your family. Come on, somebody. You go to, the work, you go to your job with a good attitude. Don't go in there with those stinking attitude. I just came from First Assembly of God. No, don't represent us that way. You go in there and say, I'm going to be the best employee that our employer has. I'm going to honor God. I'm going to build up everybody around me. Come on, somebody, because this is what I'm offering to God. I'm good at it. See, if you're good at something, that's part of your calling. You know what? Years ago, I wanted to be an evangelist. Some of the... uh, uh, some folks may be here today can, may remember I resigned the church at, Ma- at Maranatha one Sunday because I was struggling to die to the full call of a pastor, the thing I was gifted to do. I wanted to be an evangelist, but the reality is I'm not gifted to be an evangelist. I'm gifted to be a pastor, an encourager, an instructor, a teacher, a peacemaker. I can still have a prophetic element. I can still do the work of an evangelist to a certain degree, but I can't do, I cannot be a Philip. I can't go from city to city to city and see the revival break out in signs and wonders. But you know what? I can minister to you on a down day because God put the gift of exhortation in my heart, the ability to encourage people. And that's why when you come in this way on a Sunday morning, if you'll listen to what I got to say on a Sunday, you'll go out like this, glory to God. So I had to learn what I was gifted to do, help determine my calling in the name of the Lord. Jace, I was thinking about your testimony as I wrote and added to this. I remember that you were sharing with us about your calling, that your calling was directly affected by your gifting as you was teaching a Sunday school class at the Methodist Church. And the others around you began to hear and began to see that there was a gift of a teacher in your life. And now God's given you a new platform for that gift to be able to really develop and manifest itself. So just remember this, that if God's called you to do something, then typically you're gifted to do that thing. You're good at it. Come on now. And then you take a natural gifting with a supernatural anointing. Come on, you can make a difference. Come on, in the lives of men and women. A natural gifting with a supernatural anointing is what's going to advance the kingdom of God. Number two today, and I don't know if I'll get number three. I'd like to, though, but is what are you equipped to do? Now, this is very, very important right here. What are you equipped to do? Now, what do you mean by that, Pastor? This is about training and skills. Gifts must be exercised, sharpened, and developed. Can I say that again? You're gifted to do something. That doesn't still mean that you don't need to be trained to do something. Let's go a little bit farther with that. Training your gift and your calling is the will of God for your life. Then we have different ways and means to train in the kingdom of God. 
And I want to give you an example of this. And, and I believe this. And in the workforce, oftentimes, especially in the, some of the, uh, uh, the, the fields like uh, plumbing and electrician, you have apprenticeships, you have journeymen, and you have master. But people show up in the church, and they want to skip all those things. And they want to be a novice and, and really don't. That's why Paul said concerning a pastor, he said, not a novice. Lest being lifted up in pride that you fall into the trap or the snare of the enemy. So training takes all kinds of different directions. Pastorally, I have to use my experiences. My two experiences were this. Number one, I was in the military for nine years, seven and a half active, 18 months in the Air National Guard. And then from there, I was in ministry, and I've been in ministry for 24 consecutive years. But the reality is, while I was in the military for nine years, I was being trained to be in the ministry. And when I was good at something, I was good at what I did in the military. I had career progression. I had been promoted uh, in the top 10% of all people of the rank of the same you know, time and services I had. I was in the top 10%. I, ha- I was gifted administratively. There were things that I could do. But this is getting to the third point in just a moment. But I wasn't burdened to do that. And so but what I was burdened to do, I was burdened to preach the gospel. And I wanted to run away from my training on more than one occasion, but God had me there for a purpose because I wasn't just there to be an airman or a sergeant in the United States Air Force. I was there to be under Pastor Burton's shepherding so that the mantle of pastorship that was upon him, and I told you last week, he was a fourth generational pastor in the Assemblies of God. His great-great-grandfather was at the convening council of the Assemblies of God in 1914, and so that pastoral gift that would be upon him, and you know what I did for seven years while I was serving in the United States military so that you could live a free life, I was serving Pastor Burton, and I was pouring water like Elisha did on the hands of the man of God. And in doing so, then my skills were being developed. I was getting an opportunity to learn how to shepherd people, how to love people. And I still dim in comparison. I dim in comparison to to his gift of, of loving people. But at the same time, I received enough of it to make me effective as a pastor. And I want you to know today, you can be good at something, but you still got to be trained at it. So you don't avoid the training. Learn from the training and give God the opportunity to use that to take you to the next level. I wrote it this way. Elisha served Elijah. Moses was trained to lead an army for 40 years in Egypt. But he was trained to lead the people of God by following sheep for 40 years. So don't run away from the minuscule things that God may put in front of you. Don't make me pull out my sermon about how to fold your underwear in a six-inch square. Come on now, it's still there to this day. That T.I., I'll go ahead and go into it. I can remember just like yesterday, looking up from the ground at that man that asked him the question, why do I have to learn to fold my underwear in a six-inch square? And he looked up at him, and he said, son, if you can't fold your underwear in a six-inch square, how do you expect me to put a wrench in your hand and send you out to work on a $30 million aircraft, and you can't fold a pair of underwear in a six-inch square? So you got to learn that the small things are often your proving ground to equip you. Jesus said that you got to prove yourself in little things, and when you prove yourself in little things, God will give you the opportunity to do greater things. Man, I'm preaching myself happy in here today, glory to God. 
Number three, and I'm going to close at three for the sake of time. I preach all afternoon. We'd go right into life groups. Right here. This would be our life group. What are you burdened to do? What are you burdened to do? This is about calling and attention and focus. I put it this way. You can be gifted at something, but not necessarily burdened to do it. That's Christian lingo, a burden. God puts a burden in our heart, a burden you can't get away from. It's there. Where was it, man? Let me give you an example of it. When Moses, I'm closing with this, and I'm going to invite the minstrels. <laughs> It'd be wrong not to invite the minstrels back on the platform today, wouldn't it? To create an atmosphere for prayer here in a moment of time. And I know you said, Pastor, man, y'all's church, y'all go to noon, preach to noon, and you pray to one. Good. Thank God you got a church like that. Thank God. We value what God is doing in our midst. It's, it's more important than uh, just rushing out of here and just say, so you can check off, I've been to church. We want to create the climate for the Spirit of God to move in your life. What about a burden? What do you mean, Pastor? Explain to me a burden. And that's that thing inside of you that won't go away. That's that, that's that thing that was in me when I had career progression in the military. I had opportunities for promotion. I had opportunities for growth, but I had a burden. And I left all that, a future in the, in the military, to which I would have retired from the Air Force when I was 40 years old, with 22 years in service at 40 years old. But I left it to go pastor a small church in Shirley, in north central Arkansas, because I had a burden that I couldn't get away from. Couldn't shake it. Wanted to preach, wanted to pastor, wanted an opportunity to love and lead people. Moses had a burden. Let me tell you about it for just a moment as we close. Bible tells us, y'all know Moses, don't you? The man that led the children. I know you have that picture of the Ten Commandments, and I'm talking about the movie. That's the picture image, especially older folk have, who's at Charleston Heston uh, as the image of Moses. But let's capture this picture in closing this message today to discover burden for a moment of time. Moses' name meant to be taken from the water, drawn from the water. His father Amram, his mother Jochebed, during the time when, the, when, Pharaoh, when Pharaoh was persecuting the people of God in Egypt, attempting to limit their growth, the sons are being cast into the Nile River. You remember that story. It's in Exodus chapter number 1. When the Bible says that they noted that their child was a goodly child. There was something about him they knew. And they couldn't let him go into the Nile River and be destroyed by the crocodiles. And so the Bible then tells us, though, that they, when they could no longer hide him, three months of age. Three months. Listen to this in closing today. I want to make this a spiritual moment. I want you to see this today. I want you to see this because this is where you learn about burden. Because burden can be a tool. Now remember, all of these work together. But one may be more important at a particular season in your life to help you determine God's direction. Sometimes it's burden. Burden caused me to turn down opportunities for growth in the military. Burden is what caused me to refrain from testing, which would not allow me to reenlist. And it allowed me to burn the plow, the plow and go forward with the call of God in my life. So Moses was given, as y'all know, was placed in an ark of bulrushes, placed in the, in, the, in the calm waters of the Nile at a time when the princess of Egypt would come down and bathe. 
And the Bible says that she drew him out of the water. It's a powerful story. We'll probably get into it during our Bible overview. His mother got paid to nurse her own baby on her breast. That's what I said when God, come on now, God will make it all work together for your good and for his glory. But she eventually had to take that child and hand him back over to the Egyptian princess. And the Bible says in the book of Acts that Moses became mighty in words and deeds. Jewish history tells us he was a leader of armies. He was part of the captain of the guard, even though he was in the now the adopted lineage of the king or the pharaohs of Egypt. He's gone out to battle. He's a, he's a military champion. But he couldn't get away from a burden. There was something in his heart that revealed who he was. He was a Hebrew. His Hebrew people were being persecuted by the people he now called his family. And that's that pivotal moment when Moses, in the full garb of an Egyptian prince, goes into the land of Goshen. And standing there with an Egyptian taskmaster on one side and a Hebrew slave on the other. And when he saw the Egyptian taskmaster abusing the Hebrew slave, that burden in his heart caused him to react. I can't say he took the right course of action, but his burden was to defend the people of God. And he defended the people of God. So burden can be something inside you. When, you got, and you want, when he did so, you know what he did? He turned away from the riches of Egypt, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God. And that's what burden sometimes will cause you to do. Burden will say, this is what I was called to do. This is that thing that I can't get away from. This is that thing when I go to bed at night and I lay my head down for peaceful sleep, but I just can't get away from it. God's calling me to do this. God can use that burden to direct your steps, can he? He can use that burden. So I'm going to ask the worship team to join me today, if you would, on the platform. Not just Daryl, just the minstrels as well. Because it might help for us to sing behind them for a few moments. And for sake of time, as you see, you're going to have this to take home with you. I've stopped at three. There are five more that we're going to pick up next week. I always have good intentions to finish in one Sunday, but I thought that I might not be able to today. Church family, I came along today to do my very best to help you learn how to make better decisions.